Hey, I'm Nicole from Squashletic, and welcome to Train Hard, Work Smarter, a podcast focused on helping you become a better squash athlete. If you're a dedicated squash player who loves learning and improving, this show is for you. We'll be talking all things training, from strength to mobility to ghosting, as well as other topics that support your training and development, like nutrition, mindset, and much more. Thanks so much for tuning in. Now let's dive in. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I know that this show is only in its beginning stages, but I thought I'd do something a little different to what I'd originally planned and to do a tournament recap. So this is something actually that I used to do on my blog, Squash on Squash. That was back in 2014, so it's been a while. But I figured that it might be a good idea to do some of those recap style posts as a podcast because a lot of the questions that I receive from people on Instagram have to do with tournaments and mindset and pre-match mindset. So I thought this might be a good one if you find yourself you know, stressing out about what to do before a tournament or how to prepare the day of a tournament or what goes through your mind in a first round versus a final, all those sorts of things. I am talking you through the day by day, physically and mentally, emotionally, about how I felt in three different tournaments. So the first tournament was in Calgary, it was a 10K. The second tournament that I played was in DC and it was a 50K. And then the third tournament I played was also a 50K and it was in Philly. And all of these tournaments were very different. I felt physically different for all of them. Mentally, I was in a different state of mind for each of them. So in this episode, I'm going to break all three of those tournaments down and talk about the lessons and the takeaways as well. Originally, I I actually intended for this podcast to just be a Calgary tournament recap, but I haven't had a chance to record anything since that event because I've been busy at the two other tournaments, of course. And I was also really busy putting together and promoting Squash Shape, which is my six-week nutrition and training program, which just kicked off about 10 days ago. So between the tournaments and getting Squash Shape together, I really just had to put normal content like this on the back burner for a bit, but now here we are and we are back. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. I really think that you'll get a lot out of it if you are someone that wonders what goes through the mind of a professional squash player before, during, after, and between tournaments, and how the mindset changes based on the size of the tournament, and also get some insight into the mental and physical struggles that arise. Okay, so let's rewind to the Calgary tournament, which was about a month ago now. So this was a 10K tournament, which for reference is one of the lower prize events on the tour. And it's technically part of the PSA Challenger Tour, not the PSA World Tour. So PSA World Tour events are only $50,000 prize money and above, and everything less than 50K is part of the Challenger Tour, technically. To be honest, it doesn't really matter too much, the the technicality. It's pretty much only the top five or six players in the world that don't play anything lower than a 50K. So it's not like there's a big glaring divide between the Challenger and the World Tour in terms of hospitality and stuff. I mean, you do get your hotels comp generally at the World Tour events, and there's more of an expectation to, to put you up and to put a better event on. But to be honest, some of the best tournaments that I've played in terms of hospitality have been five and 10Ks because they're usually local tournaments where people are really excited to put you up. So I guess I would say that the size of the prize money does not always dictate the experience as a player. So anyway, that's just to give you a bit of context and Calgary, which we're going to talk about in a second, was like amazing in terms of hospitality and the crowds. So really a great event that they put on at Bow Valley Athletic Club. Anyway, 
Like I said, this tournament was a 10K and there was also a men's 50K going on. So this was the men's Canadian Open that was being held at the exact same time. That was pretty cool because it brought more energy to the event and it definitely brought out a bigger crowd having some of the top guys in the world there. I went in as the second seed. I was originally third, but then Danielle Letourneau, who was the top seed, she pulled out. So I moved up to second seed. And my goal with this tournament was always to win it. I think if you're in like the top four, that's pretty much got to be your objective. So for me, going to top two didn't actually make a difference to any pressure I felt or any expectations I put on myself. But something that I wasn't really prepared for, though, was being the only Canadian left in the draw, men or women, after day one. So I definitely felt that people, they were cheering for me, which was awesome. And I definitely think it gave me energy. But I felt a little bit of pressure. I definitely felt like I had people behind me and I really wanted to do well. Um, and it wasn't bad pressure, but I do think it maybe made me a little bit more edgy in my first couple matches, which... I was annoyed about that I didn't play as well as I wanted to or as I could have, but I did just remind myself during the match and after the match that the main objective was just to get through those early rounds and move on. So mission accomplished, take the win, move on to the next round. But I will say though, the slightly annoying thing about grinding through matches is that it does take a greater physical and mental toll because you feel like you're fighting against yourself as well as against your opponent. And Obviously, if it goes more than three games, then you're going to be spending more time on court, which over the course of a few rounds really adds up. To be honest, this didn't bug me too much on my first match on the glass, which was the quarterfinal, because while it was not as comfortable as I would have liked, it was a pretty tough match. And it was one of those days where I felt like nothing was going my way, like the bounces, the ref, the calls, everything. It just it felt like I was having to battle my opponent the circumstances and the ref and then myself as well. But the good thing was that it did mean that I spent more time on the glass court, which only helps you get used to it more. And I think that that actually paid off because I felt a lot sharper on the glass the next day in my semifinal versus Marie. I felt like I could anticipate the funny bounces more. I could see the ball more clearly. And I also got a better weight of shot, which is hard to do on a bouncy court at altitude. And I wouldn't say that I ever felt quite as comfortable volleying on the glass as I do on a normal court, but I definitely found myself being able to look for more volleys than the day before. And another positive was that overall my demeanor and my mental and physical intensity balance was way better in my semifinal match. I felt like I was really up for it and I was competitive, but at the same time I was relaxed and I think that that allowed me to stay calm when decisions were made or if I hit an error or or if she hit a winner. And I think it, it can be pretty tough to get that balance and I've had it both ways where I've tried to amp myself up too much and then I've also had times where I've tried to relax and then I've just gone passive. So if I'm being honest, I'm still working on figuring out exactly how to get into that zone and this is probably the biggest thing for most players, pros or not, is to figure this out. And furthermore, how to actually tweak it based on how you're feeling on the day, because sometimes you're naturally going to be more nervous and some days you're going to be maybe a little tired or have a little less energy. So I think it's important to become more in tune with yourself so you actually know how to get yourself into the optimal state for you. One of the big positives from the week, aside from making it to the final, was being up for each and every one of these matches. And I think that part of the reason I was competitively switched on throughout the whole event was thanks to a few things. 
So firstly, I managed to win my first two matches in four games, not five, and they could have easily gone to five games, which definitely made a big difference both mentally and physically for the rest of my matches throughout the week. Second thing that I think helped me stay competitively in tune was because I didn't feel like I played as well as I could have in my first two matches, I still felt like I had lots to prove not to anyone else, but more to myself. I knew that I had another gear to go up. And so I think that helped me keep my edge a little bit. The third thing that helped my competitiveness throughout the week was definitely being a top seed because that meant I had a bit of this expectation to do well. So I wasn't going to settle or be complacent for, you know, getting a good win early on, which, you know, can happen. I think it's probably happened to most of us. But I felt like I had this expectation of if I'm seeded two, I should be expected to get to the final. And I don't, again, I don't think that that really affected me in a bad way. I think it just, it gave me this perspective of like, I want to be here all week. I'm not here for one match. I'm here for the week. The fourth thing that helped my competitiveness was being in Canada, for sure. Being home and having a home crowd definitely helps because I felt like I had a lot of support from everyone, both on and off the court. And in some ways, it was kind of like being back playing college squash, actually, even though I played college squash in the U.S. It had that same sort of feeling because I had that extra energy and that motivation coming from an entire crowd, right? A whole stand that's behind you. So that was pretty cool. Another thing that helped my competitiveness throughout the week was having really good prep leading up to the tournament. I had about three weeks of good training and I wasn't rushing into it from a previous tournament. So I was really fresh and I wasn't flat at all. And I've made that mistake before several times where I play a few tournaments in a row and then I finish off with a smaller tournament where, to be honest, you really need a bit of oomph to carry you through several rounds. And if you don't have that, you can just feel flat and you can lose earlier than you would like to. So I'm really glad that I planned this one out well and I was able to train well and then give myself the best chance at a shot at the title. The sixth thing, wow, this is quite a list, isn't it? <laughs> this We've only got one more after this, I promise. The sixth thing that helped me keep my competitiveness throughout the week was having really good, consistent preparation the day of each match, which I really can't stress this enough. Having a good routine based off of what works for you, not what works for someone else or is purely superstition-based, is super important for feeling your best and for giving yourself the best chance of competing well. So basically what I would do every day is I would wake up, I would have coffee and a really light breakfast. And the reason for that is I didn't want to eat so much that then I wouldn't be hungry for lunch, which I would have to have lunch early because my match was kind of early evening. So anyway, that's another thing where I'm talking about individualizing it for you. That's where you need to know yourself. So I would wake up, I would have a really light breakfast and then I would have a practice hit around 10. And then I would just have a little shower, relax a little bit, and then I would have lunch at the club about 12. And after that, I came home. I would do a little bit of easy work, nothing too creatively demanding. And then I would nap or relax. If I napped, great. If I didn't, I just shut my eyes for about an hour and just tried to chill out. And then after I woke up, I would prepare my bag and then I'd head off to the club around four or five. So if my match was at five, I left for the club around four. If my match was at six, I left for the club at five, which personally 
5 or 6 p.m. is my favorite match time because it doesn't feel like you have all day to kill, but you still have enough time to go through this full routine and relax for long enough during the day. And also it means that you're done early enough that then you can have dinner at a normal time and you can wind down before bed because so much of the time during tournaments, it can be really tough to come down after a win. So I love having a match time that's around five or six. So it doesn't mess up your sleep schedule too much. And just to put this in perspective, some of the men's matches, which all went on after the women's matches were done, wound up going on until 11 p.m. most nights. And I really felt for those guys who were on in the later shifts. There were a couple times where I was having a late dinner. My food didn't come for about an hour and a half. So I wasn't eating till like 9 or 9.30. And there was still one or two rounds left to go. And I just remember seeing a couple of them just sitting in the bar in the restaurant, just not even getting ready to warm up yet because they knew they still had at least an hour to kill before their match was going to be on. Anyway, last but not least, I think that a reason that I did well in this tournament was because I visualized doing well in the event before it started. I didn't take anyone lightly, which definitely contributed to my nerves, but most of all, I just truly believed that I could do well, which counts for a lot, I think. And by the final, I was struggling physically a bit, not because of any injuries or real like muscle fatigue, but more because of a huge lack of sleep. I didn't sleep at all the night before the final, and I barely slept the night before the semi. And I could just also feel the nerves from the week catching up with me, which just left me pretty drained on the last day, which is not something that you want to wake up with. <laughs> and I do think that this is definitely something that you have to get used to dealing with the nerves. And for me, it tends to come a lot more during the small tournaments. It's not really something I experience as much in larger tournaments because I'm not expected to win several matches on paper. And there's also just not that accumulation of playing several matches in a row. But in a smaller tournament like here, by the final, I've played four or five matches. So it's not just the physical stress that's been building up. It's also the mental stress. And so by the final, it was really weird, actually. I felt very wired and tired at the same time. It was honestly such an odd experience. So I, I had some coffee to wake myself up. And I also took a couple painkillers as well to deal with some period cramps. So obviously that didn't help as well. If you're a female, you know what that's like. And to top it off, I was running on like zero sleep. So my body and my mind were just in this really weird, conflicted state of trying to get up, but then also trying to come down a bit. <laughs> I actually played really well in the first game. I felt really good when I stepped on court to warm up. And then I felt like I was hitting the ball really well, making really good decisions in the first game, being proactive. But then after the first, mentally and physically, I just fell off this cliff and I just kind of lost it mentally. I was arguing with the ref. I wasn't being mean. I was just trying to prove my point and ask questions because I felt like the decisions weren't correct. And I just was hitting it without purpose and just generally felt so all over the place. I felt like if I'd had a little bit more mental strength or physical strength, I could have found a way, but I just didn't have either. So I could string a few good shots together and come up with a good rally, but then it just felt like another mountain to climb to do it over again the next rally so it just felt 10 times harder than it usually would basically to play good squash and and afterwards and after the match I had a couple comments from people just being like what happened out there and you know you looked so on edge like what was that and I mean I wasn't going to get annoyed at them for asking that because I do understand that from the outside it must have looked so odd you know winning the first game comfortably and then 
basically mentally drowning for the next three games, just trying to grasp for some sort of life raft to keep me in the game. Honestly, that's how it felt. Hence all the conversation with the ref, right? But it just goes to show, but it just goes to show from the outside, it looks so easy. But when you're actually on court in the match, especially given whatever other challenges you're facing on that day, whether it's a niggle or the stress of a final or accumulated nerves from the tournament, lack of sleep or whatever, it's so much harder to put good rallies together over and over and over again than people realize. And that's just how I felt. Like aside from the first game where I felt like I was in cruise control, from the second game onwards, I just felt like I could put one good rally together and that I knew what to do, but I just found it so hard mentally to stay focused for every shot, which you have to be in that situation, especially in a final where everything's on the line. Overall, Calgary was a positive week. It was tiring, but it was a good one nevertheless. And I didn't really realize this when I was putting my tournament schedule together and signing up for tournaments, but I only had about 48 hours at home in New York before going down to DC for another tournament at Squash on Fire. And this time it was a 50k. And in this match, I definitely felt a little bit flat, but I still thought I mentally competed well. So that was good. But unfortunately, I was just undisciplined with my tactics and It was all over the shop strategy-wise, which meant that I lost out at important points and I really struggled to gain momentum throughout the games. And physically, I felt fine during the match. I wasn't tired at all. But something really strange happened afterwards where I came off and kind of stalked off with my phone to see what comments Jamie had about my match because he watched on the live stream. And I noticed that the outside of my left foot was hurting a bit, kind of like I'd bruised it or jammed it. And I didn't think much of it at the time, but the next morning it was still there. And I kind of, I was able to brush it off. I was actually able to train that day. But as I was on court for the rest of that weekend training, I noticed it getting worse and worse. So much so I had to cancel training sessions, which I'll only do if I really can't play. And this was concerning because I had another 50K coming up that week, this time in Philly, which I was actually really looking forward to. And honestly, if the tournament hadn't been just a short train right away, I might have used an injury zero and pulled out because I had really low hopes for the event based on my training the few days prior. So I saw my physical therapist in New York City. Shout out to Base Physical Therapy on 14th Street. They're awesome. Go see them if you need a physical therapist in New York. Anyway, I saw them a couple days before the event. So I had an idea of what the issue was, but that didn't really help the fact that it wasn't going to heal properly before the tournament, right? So anyway, I went down to the tournament. I was very relaxed (laughs) because I knew in the back of my mind that if I couldn't move, I was just going to have to retire. And there was no use in losing while making it worse. So I knew that if I couldn't push off the tee or if I couldn't make little adjustment steps or really have to push off forcefully sadly I would just have to retire which I've actually never retired in a PSA match before so this was all a very weird mental shift for me and so the day of my first match I just did a solo which actually felt fine because it was very static before the match my foot did not feel very good at all but I crushed a couple painkillers as you do and I hope that the best natural painkiller of all adrenaline would kick in during the match And honestly, right up until the first few points in the first game, I had no idea how this match was going to go and if I was going to be able to play. But to my surprise, I was actually so focused on what I needed to do on court and was so unconcerned about the score and the outcome that I went up, I think, nine love in the first game. 
and closed it out pretty quickly. And then the second game was also reasonably comfortable. But then after the second game, I started to think too much about winning. And this distracted me from what I was doing well, which was hitting with purpose, varying the pace, and moving the ball around the court well. And then before I knew it, my opponent, Saskia, who always battles for every single point and never gives up, came back and she tied it up to all. And at this point, going into the fifth, I, I knew I couldn't retire anymore. I knew that was not an option. I'd come too far, and I also knew I could win. My foot was hurting a bit, but it wasn't limiting me so much that I couldn't find a way to win. So eventually I did. <laughs> and afterwards, it was kind of funny. I was annoyed that I let it go five because I no doubt caused more damage to my foot, right? But in the end, I was relieved and glad to have pulled out the win. And I kind of kept going back and forth between being annoyed for having let it go five and then being glad that I'd won. And in the end, I just had to tell myself, Nicole, think about the worst scenario. What if you had gone to five and then you'd lost in five? Then you would have been really pissed off. So anyway, won that one. But shortly after the match ended, the adrenaline wore off and I was struggling to walk and I was in a similar state the next morning, actually. So I remember messaging Jamie that morning saying I was pretty confident that I wasn't going to be able to play that evening. So again, didn't have very high hopes for this match and went into it with very little expectations, especially considering I was playing someone who is now higher ranked than me and she attacks quite a bit. She likes to take the ball in short, which meant I was going to have to move to the front a lot more than I did the day before. But guess what? My opponent was a little bit off and she made some errors when I pressured her and I was also a little bit smarter and more attacking than I usually am and I was able to expose a couple areas of her game and in the end I lost in four and the first three games were all really close and they could have gone either way but then in the fourth game my foot finally gave out and I just really couldn't even make the little adjustment steps to do basic things like return the serve or push off the tee, which is really crucial because then you're late on every ball and you're not getting into the right position and you can't do simple things like hitting a good length. And we all know that when you lose your length and you can't react to cover basic shots, you virtually got no chance of beating someone like that. So that was kind of a tough pill to swallow, but I did t have some good takeaways because I kind of surpassed my expectations for this tournament, seeing as I went into it thinking I might not even be able to play. And so I actually came away with three lessons that I want to share with you. The first lesson is that adrenaline can truly get you through so much more than you think. I mean, the fact that I could barely walk during the day and right up until before the match, and then somehow found a way to adjust my movement on court to actually be able to split step and cover the court, does show you how amazing the body is and what you can get through to a certain extent when you really have to. The second lesson was that because I had to play smart and vary my pace and give attention to every shot, I actually ended up raising my level, not just through trying harder, but actually by using my brain better, which for me, I feel like my default mode is always just to try harder, but this was an interesting revelation where I was forced to play smarter and it was nice to kind of prove to myself that I could do that when needed. And then the third takeaway is that releasing yourself of expectations has got to be one of the best ways to get into the zone, I think. And this obviously can't be done every time. This was a particular circumstance where I was injured and so that was really affecting my mindset. And so I wouldn't 
recommend injuring yourself on purpose or trying to lower your expectations on purpose. But I just thought it was really interesting that in those moments where you're in the zone, you're purely focused on what you're trying to execute and not too focused on how you're trying to do it or concerned about the score or the outcome. And as someone, like I said, who likes to try as hard as possible, I think that sometimes that approach can hold me back a little bit because it can cause me to stiffen up and limit my game rather than relaxing a little bit. So then you can actually solve the problem and be adaptable. And this is actually something that I got from Graham, our national coach. He likes to remind me that squash is a problem-solving game. It's not something where you memorize answers. So actually, if you received and read my email where I talked about this a few weeks ago, you might remember me saying that Olivia, who actually ended up winning the tournament, she coached me in my first round match, and she kept saying between games, ask a question with every shot you hit, and hit every shot with purpose. And sometimes when there's not one specific game plan and you just need to get out of your own head. And I think that that kind of advice can be really powerful because it keeps you focused on the process, but it's still adaptable. Okay, so there you have it. Three quick tournament recaps, all very different experiences, but with lessons to take away, nevertheless. And so I thought I'd finish up this episode quickly by just giving you a little insight into the expenses and the income from the Calgary tournament, because this is something that we get asked a lot as professional squash players. We get questions like, do you do this full time? Or how much do you make? And can you afford to make a living doing this? And I mean, every squash player on tour must have heard every version of these questions by now. And I think that everyone has a different opinion on what it means to, quote, make a good living. So I'm not going to comment on that. But what I can give you is a little breakdown and list of my expenses and prize money from this Calgary tournament. And I'll try not to make this as dull and boring as possible. Don't worry. (laughs) So the flight, I got it for 350 Canadian dollars. I actually booked this about a week before, which I should have done earlier, but I didn't. And I got it for 350 because I used a lot of points as well. So I got it on a combination of money and points. Otherwise, I think it would have been at least double this for the flight. So I save up points. I use them when I need to. And so I got my flight with, I can't remember how many thousands of points, but points and money. And then I paid for a bag, which was $40, an Uber to LaGuardia, which was $22. I got a coffee when I was there, which was $5. I also got a wrap, which was $12. It was honestly the saddest wrap you've ever seen, but that is what we get when we eat in airports, right? Then from the Calgary airport to the club, I got an Uber, which was about $30. Then I got a sandwich and a salad at the club, which was $18 Canadian, so I don't know, about $15 US. And I'll give you the breakdown in both US and Canadian dollars at the end of this. So you don't have to be switching between currencies while I give you this breakdown. Then I went and I got some groceries for breakfast and I got a couple of specialty items and also some things that I had enough of that I would bring back with me to New York. So the total was almost $90 Canadian. And so keep in mind, this was for five or six days. So it was pretty much groceries for breakfast every day, which if you go out and you get breakfast, that's going to be anywhere between 10 and $20. I mean, a coffee is about $5 these days. So it definitely adds up. I feel like when I'm at tournaments and if I'm in an Airbnb or I'm at Billet's house, being able to have breakfast in is such a big money saver. And I kind of prefer it as well because you can just make what you want 
and it doesn't have to be fussy but I think most players have consistent breakfasts that they like to have whether it's oatmeal or toast or whatever so I actually think that most people quite like to have breakfast at home anyway okay fortunately lunch and dinner were pretty much covered by the tournament I don't think all meals were supposed to be covered by the tournament but I managed to snag a few extra meal tickets and I also did some commentating one or two nights so I got some meal tickets for doing that as well that was good because that could have easily been $50 more per day I also got a haircut, which was $75 Canadian, including tip, but I'm not include that, going to include that in the tally because that's just an extra purchase. But considering I only get my haircut about one time a year, I don't think that's too extravagant. And then I also got a few other things like some supplements and a gift for the physio. So I got like some magnesium, some melatonin, because obviously, as you've heard in this episode, I had trouble sleeping. I got some hydration packets. I got a little bit of this candy thing and I got some coffee as a gift for the physio on the way back had to pay for my bag again so that was $40 Canadian I got a smoothie at the airport which was $10 coffee which was $6 and then the uber home was $30 so all in all I don't think that I spent too much I mean I try not to spend money on extraneous things I know that coffees add up a lot so I tend not to get too many coffees out And of course, not having to pay for lunch and dinner helped a ton as well. So overall, it wasn't too bad. Something I didn't include in this list was my accommodation. At some tournaments, they'll have a hotel bonus where they'll put you up so you don't have to pay for accommodation. At this tournament, we had the option to have a billet so you'd stay in someone's home, which I would normally do. However, this tournament, my parents came out. And so my parents actually were nice enough to book the Airbnb. And so we all stayed together. If I had paid for that, it would have, you know, probably been about a thousand dollars for the few days at least. So that's why it's so helpful to have the billets at tournaments or to have the hotel bonus so that then you're not really in the red. So all in all, these expenses plus the flight came out to around $600 US, which is about $800 Canadian. And of course, if I'd paid more for the flight, which easily could have been an extra two to $400, and if I'd had to pay for lunch and dinner, that easily could have been another $250 or so, then that added on to the existing expenses would have come pretty close to $1,000, which, drumroll please, the total amount of prize money that I made for reaching the finals was 1368 US dollars. So... Overall, I did profit in the end, but only because I used points to book part of my flight and because I didn't have to pay for accommodation. And also because I guess I was pretty stingy with what I spent during the week. So yes, I profited a few hundred dollars. For the most part, I would say that when I go to tournaments, I don't profit. I think that the goal is just to break even. You hope that generally when I travel far away, like Egypt, my flight is about $1,000. If I can get it for less, that's great. But usually it's about 1000 And then the prize money, if you lose first round, the prize money is about $1,200. So really by the time you add on other expenses like food and stuff, you're pretty much breaking even. So... Of course, if you win your first round, then you're making an extra probably $800 or so. So then you're profiting and you're making some more money. But 
yeah, fortunately and unfortunately, it's pretty good lifestyle in a lot of ways being a pro squash player, but the payout isn't huge. So that's why, you know, sponsors are always really appreciated. Personally, only once have I ever asked for a financial sponsor, which was super helpful. It was a guy that I used to coach and he helped me out with flights for a year, which was really helpful. But that's why so many of us have to find another way to make money. So as you may or may not know, I used to coach squash and I used to work as a personal trainer and it got to a point where I couldn't improve my own game anymore because I was spending too much time and energy coaching, right? I'd be coaching for anywhere from four to eight hours a day. And then I was also having to do my own training on top of that. So it became pretty tough, pretty exhausting, both mentally and physically. And unfortunately, actually, COVID was the breath of fresh air that I needed to just sit, reevaluate, and that gave me the time and the mental space to come up with what is now Squashletics. So anyway, <laughs> now I'm able to, I guess, sponsor myself and be able to play pro squash and pay rent and pay expenses and stuff. One of the ways that personally I make it work, because squash can be a very expensive hobby, <laughs> is that I'm very thankful for my coaching team and the people that help me out in New York. So for instance, I've got a great setup with Rod, really appreciate everything that he does for me. Great setup and great relationships with the courts in New York City. So at Open Squash and at Nyack, don't have to pay for courts. They're always really welcoming having pros come in. So I'm really appreciative of that. Also, I'm able to see base physical therapy. So when I really have an issue that needs to be looked at, they let me come in. I see them. I definitely try not to abuse it too much, but they're awesome and they sort me out. And then for my strength and conditioning, I go to Body Space Fitness and that's where I used to be as personal trainer. So I'm fortunate enough to be able to go in there, get professional help, because even though I am a coach, I still need help from coaches, right? So they write my strength program and give me guidance and I'm able to benefit from that awesome environment as well. So I guess one of the things that I love about living and training in New York is obviously there are potential opportunities. If you do want to do some coaching, it's a great place to be for that. But also I think that if you can make the setup work for you, you know, between coaching and all the other things that you need to improve your game, I think it can be awesome. I think there are a lot of resources here. I've been in New York for a long time now. I've been in the States for whew, since 2011, so quite a while. I was in university for four years and then I moved to New York. But one of the things I love about being here is that the relationships just don't go away. You know, so I was in New York for three years and then I left to go to Stanford for three years because I was part of a club that sponsored my visa and then honestly as soon as I came back it was like I'd never left I was back in training at the same places and it's a great place to be anyway went off on a little bit of a tangent there but oh well okay I think I'm gonna wrap this up now thank you so much for listening if you have any questions or comments about this episode please send me an email at nicole at squashletic.com or send me a DM on Instagram at Squashletic. I would really love to hear from you. And of course, last but not least, if you've not rated the show or given it a review or followed, please feel free to do so either on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. And feel free to share it with any squash player or person that you think would be interested in listening. Thanks so much, and I'll see you in the next episode.